Tonight, battle of the sexes, a new court case could determine the future of women's sports once and for all. Will biological boys get to run circles around biological girls? Dollars and cents. The U.S. Navy uses million-dollar missiles to down Iranian drones that cost just $25,000. Why won't America knock out the launch sites and save us all billions? Pope woke. The Vatican tells priests they can now bless same-sex couples. Bill O'Reilly on whether the liberalization will fill the pews on Sunday. And will he be home for Christmas? The naval officer wrongly jailed in Japan for three years is back on American soil. Why President Biden won't let Lieutenant Ridge Alconis spend Christmas with his family. His wife joins us in a News Nation exclusive. And we begin with breaking news as pro-Palestinian protesters have shut down America's largest city at the start of the busiest travel season of the year. From New York's famous Grand Central Station across the city's Port Authority and then down to Penn Station. Thousands upon thousands of trains stopped, subways delayed, railways and buses not moving. These protesters have wreaked havoc on the lives of the people of New York. The chance of the only solution is intifada or murder of the Jews bellowed through bullhorns in the city with more Jews than any place in the world outside of Israel. Chaos erupted, even ensnarling the actor Alec Baldwin in the action. Cameras from NBC News New York caught that scene. Oh, you guys and children. Everybody got your mind made up. You better question it back, right? Oh, that's your question. Is that your answer? Is that your answer? You ask stupid questions. Ask me a stupid question. Baldwin appears to have tussled, or at least disagreed, with the pro-Palestinian mob, which brings to this to mind: if you've lost Alec Baldwin, perhaps rethink your position. Tonight's protests followed protests in Los Angeles, where workers had their daily commute come to a screeching halt. These protesters shut down the 110 freeway. It's happening across the country. As we learned from Harvard's president a few weeks ago, these kinds of protests will not be punished. They're not being punished in New York. They're not being punished in L.A. And they're certainly not being punished at Harvard. What's just fine to do on Harvard's campus is acceptable behavior on American streets. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? All right. Claudine Gay also has a slight problem with plagiarism, why that's not exactly on the front burner for Harvard in a few minutes. But that issue of plagiarism is not why Harvard is becoming the new Bud Light. The issue of anti-Semitism at Harvard is. 17% fewer kids applied for early admission to Harvard. And those that graduate, specifically graduating Harvard Law, have fewer options. The Edelson Law Firm just pulled out of Harvard Spring Recruitment Forum. The firm specializes in mass tort litigation. Fancy way of saying they sue big companies and get big judgments. $45 billion and counting. Now they won't recruit at Harvard. Jay Edelson's here, founder and CEO of Edelson PC. Good to see you. Thank you. Um, all right. You've sent, you sent this letter on Friday saying we're not coming to Harvard Law. Any response? Please. 
I mean, are we serious? No, they're not going to respond. What, what's great about Harvard is um, not only are they not going to respond to me, they've actually pulled their contact information, so it's impossible to get through to anybody over there. Uh, that's how Harvard is. They want to hide behind statements. They, well, this is one of the biggest I, I, screw-ups in congressional testimony that I've seen, and they're tone deaf in terms of how it makes American Jews or Jews throughout the world feel. When you've got one of the, one of the people with the biggest megaphones in the world and can't say calling for the genocide of Jews is wrong. We've, as Jews, we've seen this movie before. This is, this is not something we want to see again. She ought to be on our side. All right, so the, the term liberal New York Jew used to be a slur, right? Now I'm wondering if it's almost starting to become an oxymoron uh, in that how do Jewish Americans who were liberal, like yourself, I think you probably still consider yourself liberal now, reckon and square the circle of where the American liberal philosophy is. Well, I didn't know that it was a slur before, so that's interesting. Uh, but I take your overall point. Um, we thought that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party was with us. We've been hearing for years and years the idea of um, intergenerational trauma, uh, safe spaces, trigger words. Let's make sure everyone is protected. And, and we were with everybody. I still am. I want, I want to treat people with respect. I want everyone to feel safe. Um, it was shocking to a lot of us when there was some Jewish exception for that. We have, we have kids in college at the elite universities and they're afraid to leave their dorm rooms. Um, my, my own kids don't want to wear Jewish stars out because they don't want to be identified as being Jewish. It, it, this, is, this is crazy, and, it, and it's coming not from the far right. But from the far left. From the far left. Right. So in other words, and I think what you're trying to say is that if you want to talk about a group that's experienced intergenerational trauma, the Jews, the Jews have a few things to say, and you were surprised that you all were left out um, at Harvard and other places. But really... Look, you've got Bill Ackman, who, who's gone on a tirade against Harvard. Uh, you have the president of Harvard now being excused for plagiarism. Uh, you have billions of dollars of donations being pulled from Harvard. You have people like you saying we're not going to recruit there. They're not changing their tune. Do they feel just totally emboldened and, and completely uh, immunized, if you will, from this kind of criticism? So I, I want to be clear. I don't think this is, this is all progressives or all uh, people who believe in DEI. A lot of us, I, I grew up from a poor background. I care very much about giving people opportunity. But I do believe that, that there is an orthodoxy within certain elements of the progressives where the only thing that matters is their view on you know, their chosen groups that are victims, and that's what they care about. So no, I don't think that they care about losing donors. I don't think they care about their students. Uh, we're one of the few progressive uh, firms that, that um, are speaking to their students. You would think that they, would, that they would want us out there. They don't care about that. What they care is, is something... Well, it's telling, right, that they care, they care more about their own personal political sort of thoughts and holding those near and dear than they do their students getting jobs. That says a lot about a university. You're a lawyer. Um, we, we've reported a lot on the death of DEI, and it seems to be coming, right? This is the moment where they, DEI was exposed for what it was, which is only certain groups were protected and certain were not. Um, are we going to start seeing lawsuits by 50-year-old white men who are passed over by Promotion? Are we going to start seeing lawsuits from kids at Harvard who were thrown out for plagiarism now that the president is not thrown out? 
Yeah, actually, you've already started seeing them. Um, what, what's crazy, so NYU's been sued. UPenn was sued before the UPenn president went and, um, and had another disastrous uh, testimony along with, uh, with President uh, Gay. Um, so we've seen some of that, but there's going to be a huge movement now. Uh, and, and what's one, one of the things which I don't find any of this funny, but it's ironic, is one of the theories that we're going to use is a false advertising theory, which is you went out there, Harvard, and said, what we're going to give you is real diversity and protect everybody's individualisms, and you lied about that. And I don't know how, how kind of the, the crazies in the DI uh, movement even respond to that, but that's going to be a fun one in court. And those, those suits are coming. I would show up. I would show up. I would show up for that trial. I, I think about how this moved from Harvard, and we reported a lot on this in the first couple of weeks uh, in the aftermath of October seventh of these these protests on Harvard's campus, and now to massive street protests and the shutting down of America. There was a Harvard Harris poll, no irony perhaps, in who was sponsoring the poll, but it showed basically two thirds of Americans, eighteen to twenty four, believed in in the DEI movement, in the way the, the world looks at things, do you think that Jews are a class oppressors? 67%, two-thirds of Americans, 18 to 24, view Jews as oppressors. Is that ignorance, you think, or something more? I think it speaks to something that's at the core of extreme DEI philosophy. And it's been hard for me to even understand this. But, but in 69% of Israel uh, says it has a 69% uh, right to exist. 31% say they do not have a right to exist. From progressives. It, it, this, is, this is madness. Um, but yes, they're, they're, you know, Jews are kind of waking up to the idea that, that when we talk about oppressors and oppressors, it's, it's whoever these 10 people in the room have defined it as so. Uh, so I've been asking questions, you know, where do these people fall into it? And there is a hierarchy. Yeah. And Jews, we're on the wrong end somehow. And you say, how about history? We've got 15 million Jews in the world. But, but where are the oppressors? Well, um, tell you what, when you're filing the first lawsuit, come back and talk about it. The false Anytime. advertising claim I want to see. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. In a huge change just ahead of Christmas, stay a little bit on the topic of religion, Pope Francis says Catholic priests can bless same-sex couples. The church's objections to same-sex couples still stands, but the move represents a real shift in doctrine. It's the latest move in the Catholic Church ever greater openness to LGBTQ people under Pope Francis. December 13th, the Vatican says having a child out of wedlock doesn't bar access to sacraments. November 20th, Pope punishes a leading cardinal. November 10th, Pope Francis orders a removal of a Texas bishop over criticism of reforms. October 31st, Vatican says transgender people can be baptized and become godparents. Since his time as a bishop in Argentina, Pope Francis focused on bringing more people into the church, or at least keeping Catholics from leaving. And they need every person they can get in the pews on Sunday. Three years ago, 75% of white Catholics in America said they went regularly to mass. That number today is 45% with us now anchor of the No Spin News, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, good to see you. I admit that I am far from an expert on this. Is this as big of a change as it seems and sort of mirroring the shift in American culture, albeit what, 20 years late? I don't think it has anything to do with American culture. It has to do with all the criminal indictments against clergy in the Catholic Church. So the church is out of the morality business right now. 
And um, you see it, I go to Mass every Sunday, unless I'm tied up, kidnapped somewhere, and the priests are afraid to talk about morality at all. They'll tell you about the mustard seed falling on fallow ground. They'll tell you about, um, you know, St. John the Baptist. But they're never going to get involved with contemporary morality ever again in America because the damage that has been done in the Catholic Church by these uh, clerics, these horrible, horrible men, is incalculable. And I don't know if the American Catholic Church can recover. So Pope Francis understands that. He understands the lifeblood financially of the Catholic Church comes from America. And so he doesn't want to come across as a um, judgmental pope. He's also a uh, liberal theologian uh, coming from Argentina where he was persecuted by the fascist government on Galtieri. I was actually down there when that happened covering the Falklands War from Buenos Aires. So the Pope is a liberal Pope. He's a good man, I think. He's compassionate. I think he's naive in global affairs, like the war between Israel and Hamas. But he's doing the right thing in social areas by saying, look, we're not going to make these kind of personal judgments. We're not going to allow gay marriage to be a sacrament. He can't do that. Pope cannot do that. But we're going to treat gay people and everybody else with compassion. That's what this is all about. You made a great point in terms of the lifeblood of the Catholic Church is is in America. Um, And it lost so much of its moral high ground, any really moral high ground it had, because of how it handled the abuse scandal over and over and over again. You say that there's no way for them to come back. So do you view this as just sort of a move of convenience? Um, Because at the same time, in in a move to get people back in the pews, or a a sincerely held belief by a pope who, at least from my understanding, and I'm, as I said, far from an expert, um, is getting an awful lot of blowback in the Vatican for some of these more liberalization moves? Look, according to all the surveys, about 25% of American Catholics now... Uh, attend weekly mass. Is that going to improve because of Pope Francis's more benevolent look on personal behavior? No, I don't believe it will. The church in America is operating out of fear. You saw that when the gay hate group, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, was honored by the Los Angeles Dodgers last summer. You couldn't get a handful of clerics to even comment on it. They were so afraid of that. Whereby 30 years ago, you would have had every Roman Catholic going, you're going you're gonna to give a hate group an award? That's what you're going to do, Los Angeles Dodgers? It was a catastrophe for the Dodgers too, PR-wise. But... When I saw that, and I reported that aggressively, when I saw I couldn't get any major, none, no major clerics in America to even comment on it, that's how afraid they are. Look, and and to to be fair, there's some repentance, I guess you can say, that the Catholic Church has to do um, in this this area. 
the, the culture war is shifting in America, and I, I wanted to have you on because we are just a week ahead of Christmas. You ran the original reporting on the, the first culture war, which is the war on Christmas. Let's look back now uh, almost 10 years to the O'Reilly factor. Take a listen. Christmas in America. You may remember about 10 years ago, the factor began spotlighting companies that refused to say the words, Merry Christmas. In fact, some of those businesses actually ordered their employees not to say that. Well, that culture war issue ignited, and we won. Most companies stopped the nonsense, and Merry Christmas became a common greeting once again. In just a couple of sentences, is what we're seeing in terms of the war on DEI that has started in this, this real change that appears to be happening have some similarities? You're asking me to comment in a couple of sentences, Leland? I can't. <laughs> it's what the you're holiday time. To, come on. I mean, I don't know if that could ever happen. Look, we won the war on Christmas because of economics. We named the stores that would tell their employees, don't say Merry Christmas, and people didn't shop there. That's why we won. In the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, they've, as Henry Winkler can attest, jumped the shark. They've thrown in with Hamas. It's now going to destroy itself. That's what will happen. See, a couple of paragraphs and you nailed it. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours, Bill. Uh, Killing Witches is still available uh, for Christmas delivery uh, and makes a great Christmas present. We'll talk soon. Coming up next, the new lawsuit that's trying to keep women's sports in America fair and keep biological boys from hurting biological girls on the field. The new ruling, pretty interesting. And why America still allows Iranian rebels to shut down one of the world's busiest shipping lanes. How Iran is winning the war without even hitting an American ship. concept coming to your high school, well, when it comes to sports, so-called fairness doctrine in trans athletics. Much like diversity, equity, and inclusion is dying because it's not fair, teenage boys competing against teenage girls isn't working these days. For example, this 100-meter dash race in Connecticut. As expected, it is Miller and then Smith. Oof, 11, 6, 4. She just broke her own state open record. Yikes. A transgender athlete, Terry Miller, dominated the competition, and that's not a surprise. But there could be a change on the horizon. A federal appeals court now says four biological women can sue to keep biological men out of girls' high school sports. And we weren't talking about a federal appeals court in Texas, but the appeals court in Manhattan, relatively speaking, a, a liberal appeals court. And this couldn't come at a more important time. In 23 states, state laws ban transgender students from participating in sports consistent with their gender identity. Okay, but soon a Biden administration ban on bans will take effect. Never mind the fact that an overwhelming majority of Americans don't support boys playing against girls. That's why Chelsea Mitchell is taking a stand. She's now a college track athlete and with us tonight, along with her lawyer, Christiana Kiefer, senior counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, Christiane, good to start with you. Um, am I right to point out that this is a Manhattan federal court of appeals, not, say, Texas, that 
that's issued this now ruling? Certainly. This is the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in downtown Manhattan. And even they recognize that Chelsea and these other female athletes across the state of Connecticut have been injured. They deserve to have their day in court. They deserve to make their full case under Title IX. So we at Alliance Defending Freedom are really excited to move forward with this lawsuit. All right. So, Chelsea, you're now running college track. Um, Look, there's a lot of money involved here uh, in terms of how much scholarships are worth. You think about uh, private schools, they can be fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year out of state. State schools can be just as much. How, if you're running college track now, were you injured? Well, back in high school, I raced against two biological males um, all four years of high school. And over those four years, those two males took multiple medals, podium spots, um, and eventually four state championships for myself um, and from plenty of other girls. And so I never knew how my college prospects were injured because of those um, losses. Look, you know, even though you have the same times, it's hard to not be the state champion when you're competing for scholarships against other state champions. Uh, Christiana, though, I think about this in terms of track and field. Um, There's not really a a chance of physical injury, but then you think about uh, comparing times, right? A mile, uh, women are 46 seconds slower, best men's time, 401 versus 446. 100 meters, women's 1150, uh, 11 seconds, 0.5, men 10.48. 400 meter, women's 52.67, men's 45. I mean, these are the the records at the high school level um, in Connecticut. But then you think about other sports, right? We think about volleyball. Um, where men spike the ball a lot harder. Um, you think about lacrosse, the average men's speed shot, 75 to 85 miles an hour. The average woman, 40 miles an hour. These totally different sports. How is there going to be the difference between the argument of what's fair in terms of running track and whether biological men have an advantage versus what's safe playing a 14-year-old girl versus an 18-year-old boy on a lacrosse field? Well, clearly both are at play when we're talking about why we even have women's sports as a separate category. You know, males have a 10 to 50 percent performance advantage over female athletes. And as you rightly recognize, there's a safety component. We saw a young woman in North Carolina who received a concussion from a male's volleyball spike. And even more recently in Massachusetts, a young woman had her teeth knocked out in field hockey because she was competing against a male athlete. So there are certainly safety components as well in contact sports. Are you seeing a tide changing here? Absolutely. We're seeing the vast majority of the American public recognize that it is unfair and it's unsafe to force young women like Chelsea to compete against male athletes. That's the whole reason we have women's sports as a separate category. And it's been really exciting to see more and more young women really find their voice and begin to speak out on these issues. Speaking of speaking out, for lack of a better term, uh, Chelsea, you've been on college cam- a college campus, typically a fairly liberal place, uh, and at the same time involved in this lawsuit. And I'm wondering um, if you've gotten harassed, punished in some way, ostracized by, uh, shall we say, the more liberal members of your campus who aren't, aren't happy about the stand you've taken. I mean, I've definitely had my fair share of backlash both in high school and in college, but I really just focused on those that support me. I mean, we've created such a movement since we filed this lawsuit four years ago, and so it's just really exciting to see um, that finally like come to play. Yeah, well, you, you said you've started a movement, and indeed you both have. Thank you. Uh, come back and talk to us about it. The next stop would be the Supreme Court. We'd be fascinated to see what happens. Coming up, actually, right now, after months of attacks by Iranian-backed rebels on American ships, the U.S. Navy will lead Operation Prosperity Guardian 
to protect shipping lanes from Iran's Houthi rebels in Yemen. 10% of the world's commerce passes within range of their very cheap but deadly one-way drones, a.k.a. flying bombs. Most cargo operators now won't send their boats through the state straight connecting the Red Sea with the Gulf of Aden. That's known as the Gates of Grief. It's sending the price of oil sky high. Wait for gas prices to go up as you fill up your tank. Coming up on the road trip to Grandma's house, Kelly Meyer is in D.C. Hi, Kelly. Hey there, Leland. Well, the Iran-backed militants trying to attack these cargo ships, and it's costing the U.S. We're outspending them 60 to 1. Here's the breakdown. It costs approximately 20000 to 100000 per Houthi drone and $1.2 million to $2.1 million per U.S. missile. So there have been 37 drones shot down by the USS Kearney alone. Those 37 cost the Houthis approximately $740,000. The U.S. spent some $44 million shooting them down, and that's assuming that it just took one missile to down one of those drones. So these attacks have only been increasing, and we're now at 11 and counting shipping companies that have stopped using the Red Sea route due to the increase in the attacks by the Iran-backed Houthis over the last month or so. One shipping company stopping their trips through the Red Sea saying, quote, the situation the situation is further deteriorating and concern of safety is increasing. Now, today, the defense secretary in Israel called for other countries to fight back. These attacks are reckless, dangerous, and they violate international law. And so we're taking action to uh, build an international coalition to address this threat. And I would remind you that this is not just a U.S. issue. Uh, it's just, this is an international problem, and it deserves an international uh, response. Now, the Biden administration has been reluctant to respond militarily against the Houthi attacks on commercial shipping in recent weeks for fear of provoking Iran. The White House has said over and over that they do not want to see this conflict between Israel and Hamas widen. But the continued escalation, including attacks on U.S. forces, could force Biden's hand here. Leland. All right, so we're Monday right now. Last week we were reporting we were right at about 100 ta- attacks against U.S. forces yeah. uh, in Syria uh, and in Iraq. Have those continued over the weekend? Continue to increase. We've been checking in on the latest numbers from the Pentagon, and every time we do check in, they continue to tick up more and more. We haven't gotten the latest report, actually, from the Pentagon today. We know that likely these continue to increase, both in Iraq and Syria, and we haven't seen uh, any reaction or response to these latest attacks, either on U.S. forces, as well as those attacks that we've seen where the U.S. Kearney had to fight back over the weekend. Yeah, and you think about, you could also take out the launch sites for these in in Yemen, the same way, say, the Allies took out the V2 launch sites or V1 launch sites against the Nazis. Kelly, good to see you. Thank you very much. Coming up next, the jailed naval officer who has returned to America, but not yet returned to his family. His wife joins us in a News Nation exclusive and tells us why the Biden administration hasn't made good on their promise to bring Lieutenant Ridge Alconis all the way home. Navy Lieutenant Ridge Alconis is still not home with his family. We reported on this last week. He spent 507 days in a Japanese jail on charges of negligent driving. Medical records show he wasn't negligent, but suffering from a medical condition at the time of a deadly car crash. In any reasonable sense, he should have never been in jail at all. Last week, Japan released him to the United States, but he's still being held in custody in Los Angeles. 
The U.S. Department of Justice still has not determined if Ridge will be released in time to spend Christmas with his, with his family or anytime soon. During his State of the Union address last year, President Biden promised Ridge's wife that he would bring her husband back. As of now, the president still hasn't fully delivered on that promise. Brittany Alcongas is with us now. She's Ridge's wife. I can't imagine the emotional roller coaster you've been through over the past week or two, Brittany. And what I'm just from the top of this, if President Biden sat there, you know, at the de- at the resolute desk with a pen and said, send Ridge back to his family, how long would it take for him to be on a plane back to you? Um, I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. I can't imagine it being more than 24 hours. Uh, he certainly could have made that decision as, as soon as Ridge was in the air and out of the hands of Japan. Any idea why he didn't? You know, I'm... It doesn't matter. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, he's the commander-in-chief, and I think he has a responsibility to do right by his service members. And uh, my children, my husband, our family, we've suffered for two and a half years. Surely that's enough. Um, Whether it's through the president himself or through the standard process by the DOJ, uh, Ridge could be home right now. He could certainly be home by Christmas, and we're not feeling like any progress is being made here in our own country. It feels like the same thing we're going through, we were going through back in Japan. I'm looking at pictures of him right now. He got back to the United States last week. Were you able to see him? Yeah, I've been able to see him. Um, I saw him every day since Friday, um, except for today, he took a little break. It's, it's a long drive. It's a lot going into downtown LA every day, but it's, it's been good to see him. Um, you know, it's not behind glass anymore. So in some ways, th- some things have improved. But the thing that will always remain worse is that he is now in his own country. There's nothing complicated about this case. And if it were, des- if it were the desire of the DOJ and the administration, he could be home right now. Yeah, it, it is bewildering. When I heard he was coming back to the United States, it seemed as though there'd be a deal with Japan. Okay, he gets back, and 24 hours later, okay, now now he's heading out on home leave until we can get things sorted. And that that's just not what happened. I'm just wondering emotionally for you. You got the phone call. He's coming home. How long did it take you to realize, and what were your thoughts when you realized he's coming back to the United States, but he's not coming home? You know, I I had known for some time that, first of all, this wasn't a release. It was a transfer. When someone is released, when they are traded, they are brought back into the loving arms of their country and their family, and they go home. I knew that that's not what this was. I knew that it was a transfer. I knew that he would have to be booked with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, As far as what would happen after that, there wasn't a whole lot of clarity So I am shocked, not only that he's still in jail today, but there's no clear answer as to when he'll be out. Boy, uh, we're all pulling for you. I've said it to you a number of times uh, how much I know it means to him that you're fighting for him, and I'm glad you're being able to see him. Um, It's certainly in person and not behind glass, and uh, we think only the best for you uh, and the kids, all right? Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk soon, hopefully with better news. 
Coming up, Nikki Haley gets within 15 points of Donald Trump in the new New Hampshire polling. Is momentum enough? If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. There was a sweet older woman who has come to a lot of events, and I saw her coming in here, and she said, so are you going to finally endorse Nikki Haley for president? You bet I am. Let's get this thing done. We are all in on Nikki Haley, undoubtedly. All right, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu giving Nikki Haley his endorsement. New CBS poll released today shows that might have actually meant something. Nikki Haley gaining more traction with New Hampshire voters. Surpassed Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis at 29 points. DeSantis 11, Trump 44. Ron DeSantis is still continuing to go down. Nikki Haley up. Man always with the momentum. Chris Cuomo is here. You think this is real? Uh, it's real right now. Uh, as, as you and I both know, polls are only a snapshots of a moment in time. And I think that your take and my take about the News Nation debate was that her saying, these guys are beneath me, these guys are attacking me, but I'm above them, but I have my positions, worked. Now, tonight we have Governor Sununu on to make his case for why she's more than a Trump protest because it's going to be him. How does he counter that? And a look at her main positions to see whether she's in step with the country. Hmm. All right, I'm going to be really nerdy about politics because I am a nerd, just sort of at heart. That's what I am. Ask him this. This poll included a lot of independents, not necessarily Republican <laughs> primary voters. Poll is only as good as the polling sample, right, is the model they use. What's he going to do and how much sway does he think he has to get independents and maybe even some moderate Democrats who in an open primary in New Hampshire, any of them can show up and vote in a Republican primary. What's he going to do to help help get out the vote for Nikki Haley? Because that I think I think if she won New Hampshire, it'd make a difference, don't you? Oh, it definitely makes uh, a difference. And your analysis is spot on about what the challenge is. Now, Sununu, I don't know that it's good for him. I thought he would have really added to the race uh, as a as a you know direct uh, candidate for the nomination himself. But his vote as you well know, but for the audience's edification, is not straight-line Republican. He pulled in Democrats and a lot of independents. So for her, he's the right guy, uh, not just because he's the governor, but because of who his constituency is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. I mean, he's, not, you know, he's probably not watching right now. He's busy getting ready for you and studying your questions. What are you, anything else you're going to talk to him about? Well, he ain't studying my questions because I'd never give questions. Uh, but I've interviewed well, him many times. Doing, as have stuff. you? He's studying what he thinks people. Well, you know, he has smart people. We're gonna say this is what Cuomo's gonna ask. Come on. Now, nah, look, this is uh, easy for him. He's thought about this a lot. He's a thoughtful guy. Uh, but 
It is interesting about whether or not this is wishful thinking or this is practical. We'll see. We also have on uh, one of Prime Minister Netanyahu's main spokespeople to have a difficult conversation about whether there can be peace with Bibi Netanyahu as Prime Minister of Israel. Is he out of step with his own people in terms of a two-state solution? Yeah, I, I would I would argue it, it may be an irrelevant question if you have Hamas on the other side either way, but... There you go. I'm sure that may be the argument you get from the other side as well. It's good to see you. Um, we'll talk soon. Coming up next, the U.S. senator who routinely bets against America's future. He makes money when your 401k goes down. Why is that still legal for a senator? We'll see you in a minute. All right, welcome back to New York. We're here for our holiday party, our opportunity to thank all of the staff who work so hard every day to put this show on television. With that, without them, none of this would be possible. And as always, we want to thank you, our viewers, uh, for giving us the opportunity to spend time with you every night. This is really beginning the run-up, of course, to Christmas and to New Year's, spending time with family. We hope when those conversations with family and friends go away from football and on to politics, you tell them about News Nation. You tell them why you choose to spend an hour with us every night. We're grateful for it, and we'd be grateful if you'd spread the word. Over the past couple of months, we've been inspired by how much you all have liked and signed up for War Notes. That's now our free daily newsletter. It comes out every day at 4 p.m., gives you a little bit of a look at how the show is put together. And it started during the war, as the war in Israel kicked off. It was our internal discussion about the most important stories of the day, what we were thinking about the stories, why, what most interesting things people said about those stories. If you go to warnotes.com, you can subscribe for free. You can reply to the email with your thoughts. You can also comment on social media, at Leland Vittert, on Instagram and Twitter as well. This is a story that was in War Notes this morning. I actually heard from a couple of friends about it. Lots of things that aren't illegal as much as they just are morally repugnant, right? And that applies to Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, but not for the reason you would think or the reason CNN or MSNBC would lead you to believe. He became liberal America's favorite boogeyman for holding up senior level military promotions over abortion policy. That lasted for about 10 months, and then he dropped the ban. What he has done now is far worse. The former Auburn football coach is betting against America. So he's a United States senator. He took an oath to the Constitution to help America, to protect and defend America. But as a senator, he makes money now when we all suffer by his own choosing. Federal disclosure forms show him shorting the stocks of major American companies like Tesla, U.S. Steel, and Microsoft. Tesla is in almost every American's 401k or union retirement or pension fund. So when those companies' stocks go down, Tuberville makes money. It's called shorting, as described by Margot Robbie in the movie The Big Short. By the way, these risky mortgages are called subprime. So whenever you hear subprime, think Our friend Michael Burry found out that these mortgage bonds that were supposedly 65% AAA were actually just mostly full of So now he's going to short the bonds. 
which means to bet against. Got it? Margot Robbie was unavailable for this segment, so we upgraded to Trish Regan, world-renowned business journalist and former Goldman Sachs trader. Okay, there we go. I thought that would get a Robbie fan. I thought that would get a smile out of you. You weren't (laughs) up when I said it. Is this sort of as morally repugnant as I'm making it out to be, or should every senator be allowed to vote against America? No, it's it's unbelievably bad. I mean, just the fact that these guys are allowed to trade the market the way they trade the market. I mean, Leland, this is not normal, okay? Like, if you work on Wall Street, I remember when I was at Goldman, like, they take this pretty serious, okay? So you have to fill out a whole bunch of forms, like the SEC regulates it, all that good stuff. But in this case, somehow, you're a member of Congress, you are privy to details that Leland, let's be honest, like the rest of us just aren't privy to, right? Like you're part of those committees, you know what's happening within the sector. I mean, this is information that, by the way, traders want to get. Why do you think they care about political news? I mean, it's interesting and everything, right? But they want to know what policies are in the works because that's going to affect the stock prices. So this guy's out there, U.S. Senator, not only is he trading, but he's shorting. I mean, it's, and shorting, by the way, is, you know, is, the movie is very glamorous, but it's actually kind of complicated stuff. I don't know how you have time to sit around and yeah. do some options trading if you're supposed to be a U.S. senator. Thank you very much. Yeah, that, that's what I can't understand is, is the time component of this, right? So lawmakers outperforming the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is the broader market. And I think to, to outperform the S&P 500, that's what Warren Buffett does. That's, that's, that's it's, un- so true. That, it's a big deal. Yeah, 20% of lawmakers on Wall Street, what they care about is outperforming the S&P. So forget about going and getting an asset manager, just like mimic <laughs> these senators' portfolios. And hey, you know, you'll be A-OK. Listen, it's just wrong. And the fact that it's not been regulated more, well, let's be honest, Leland, they're in charge of the regulation. Do you think they want to regulate themselves? No, 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 right. no. They're happy to regulate everybody else. And they get to do exactly what, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is another good example. Her husband, he was in this business and he was making a lot of money on a lot of trades that, you know, honestly, like, it's just not right, right? There should be more of a Chinese wall, shall we say, between what you're doing in your personal life and what you're doing at work. And there's a way too much crossover. It's interesting. We had a guy on, a young guy, 24 years old, who invented a way to mimic the portfolios of Nancy Pelosi's up 50 percent and others. Um, What I think is interesting and probably what's so telling, right, is that there were bills that were offered, uh, one bipartisan bill, I think it was Josh Hawley and AOC or something, in order to say you you can't trade as a member of Congress. And the bill died before it even got to the floor. It tells you how valuable this is to them. You got you got the last 20 seconds. Yeah, no, it's 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 out of control. It needs to get fixed.